had a friend of mine who had a bunch of fruit trees in his yard. His goal was to have fruit all through the season, something always blooming, always growing, always ripe. And so he had all of these different fruit trees. He had apple trees, he had peach trees, and one of the things that he really loved was his plum tree. He loved his plum tree. But one year, there was an ice storm, and the plum tree got damaged. A whole bunch of the branches got broke off, and he thought, well, that's it. It's not going to produce, it's going to be dead this year. But just the opposite happened. Soon that plum tree was filled with blossoms. They were everywhere. And then there was so much fruit on the tree that he had to prop up the branches with with, uh, boards to keep them from breaking. And that year, the plums, uh, it seemed like they were about the size of your your fist. They They were huge that year. That storm that should have killed his plum tree caused it to produce even more fruit, way more than he and his family could eat, and thankfully he shared quite a bit of it with me that year. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy is fruit. Joy grows, and it can grow even in the middle of a storm. What what if the storms that you face, what if the storms of your life, those things that, that beat you down, those things that threatened to break you, what if what if you could face those storms and blossom? What if you could face those storms and be even more fruitful than before? What if your joy in the face of the storms of life could not only sustain you through your struggles, but could sustain other people, that you could share your joy with others? What would it take for you to become that kind of person and have that kind of joy? Last week, we looked at Philippians 4, 4-7. through and in Philippians 4.4 4 is where we read those words, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. I will not make you sing the song today. You're welcome. But I want to remind you again that when Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians, he wrote it while he was in prison. He wrote it while he had a death sentence. At one point in the letter he says, I don't know if I'm going to live or die. He says, I may be being poured out right now like a drink offering. I don't know. So he he writes this with a death sentence over his head, and yet he repeatedly calls his friends to rejoice. He calls them to change their attitudes. And so I read this, and I wonder, what did Paul know that I don't know? What did Paul know that he wanted them to know? What, What did Paul know that we can all learn through his words? What can a life of joy, despite the circumstances and despite the storms, what can a life of joy produce within us. We're going to look at just one verse today, and it's the very next verse. Philippians 4, verse 8. Just like last week, it is also on page 982 in those blue Bibles if you wanted to follow along there. Philippians 4, 8. Last week, one of the things I talked about was the difference between joy and happiness. You might remember that. The, The difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is dependent upon circumstances. If things happen to go your way, then you will be happy. But if they don't happen to go your way, you're not going to be happy. That's what happiness is. That's not joy, though. Joy is proactive happiness. Joy is happiness that takes the initiative. Joy is happiness that says, I'm not going to wait on circumstances to be just right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to wait on everything to work out and then be happy. I'm going to be joyful now. We're going to, we're going to attack our circumstances, we are going to attack our storms with joy. And so we read in Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, I want to point this out every now and then I mention this, 
when you read that word brothers, go ahead and just say sisters. In the Greek language, there was no word for y'all. Okay? So when they say brothers, they also mean sisters. That doesn't let you ladies off the hook. There's no word in Greek for y'all. Finally, y'all. I kind of like that better. <laughs> whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. One verse. One verse that tells us so much about ourselves, tells us about our circumstances, tells us about our storms. Now, the, the first thing I want you to see here in this verse, and the first thing that we need to acknowledge, not only from this, from this one little verse, but from our lives also, is this. There will always be something in your life worth complaining about. That's what that verse says. There will always be something in your life worth complaining about. It, it's right there in that verse. I don't know if you can see it or not, but it's there in the word whatever. It's right there in the word whatever. Because if there is a whatever is, if there's a whatever is, there has to be a whatever ain't. Right? If there's a whatever is, there's going to be a whatever ain't. This, does this verse cover everything in your life? Absolutely not. Does this verse say, finally, brothers, everything is true. Everything is honorable. Everything is just. No, it doesn't say that. There are plenty of things you have to deal with that don't fit into these categories. You have issues. You have problems. You have people in your life that don't fit into these categories, but they still need to be addressed. The difference is we don't have to dwell upon them. That doesn't mean we pretend they're not there. It doesn't mean that, that they, they don't have to be taken care of. They don't have to be handled. We don't have to deal with them. But we're not going to put blinders on and pretend that everything is perfect and everything is, is just right. If I don't see it, it doesn't exist. That, that doesn't help. That doesn't help at all. But we have a choice. We don't have to dwell on those things. After that ice storm, my friend didn't come out and see all those branches broken off his plum tree. He didn't go out and get the band-aids and the bandages and bandage them back on and try to make the dead parts work again. That, that wouldn't have fixed it. Instead, he swept them all up and he took care of them. And sometimes you have to take care of the problems. You have to take care of things in order to provide more life and to give more energy to that which is living, to more strength to that which is living and allow that which is alive to produce good things and produce even more. I gave away a couple copies of this last week. The 4-8 Principle by Tommy Newberry. The 4-8 Principle, The Secret to a Joy-Filled Life. And it is a really good book. Just a great little read here. There's a, there's a law that they mention in this book. It's called the Law of Attention. And even if you've never heard of the Law of Attention, I guarantee you know what it is. This is the Law of Attention. Whatever you dwell on becomes increasingly prominent in your mind. Have you found that to be true? Whatever you dwell on becomes increasingly prominent in your mind. The problems that you keep thinking about, those problems just keep getting bigger and bigger, and they suck up more of your time, they suck up more of your attention, they suck up more of your emotion, they suck up your joy. You will always feel what you dwell on. 
So if you're dwelling on anger, you know what you're always going to feel? You're always going to feel anger. If you're, if you're dwelling on sadness, you know what you're going to feel? You're, you're always going to feel sadness. If, if you're dwelling on your hurts, you're always going to feel those hurts. If you're dwelling on jealousy, you're always going to feel jealousy. So, so what can we do about that? But what if instead, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What if we did that instead? Depending on what you give your attention to, you either produce joy or you produce junk in your mind. Whatever you, depend, whatever you, you give attention to, you either produce joy or junk in your mind and in your life. In this book, Tommy Newberry lists 40 junk-producing thoughts. It takes three pages, but he lists 40 junk-producing thoughts. I'm not going to read them all to you, but I, I took a little sampling of them. Tell me if these sound familiar. These are junk-producing thoughts. I'm never going to be happy again. Does that sound familiar? That's a junk-producing thought. That's just the way it is. That's a junk-producing thought. I hate myself. I could never do that. Nothing good ever happens to me. How about this one? I can't. That's a junk producing thoughts. Do those sound familiar? Have you ever thought those? Those sounded really familiar to me. The truth is the junk is always going to be there. The junk will always be there, but what good does it do to dwell on it? What does that produce? It produces more junk. What if we could do something better? And so while there's always going to be something worth complaining about, you also have to know there will always be something in your life to be thankful for. There's always going to be something to be thankful for. There's always going to be good stuff. It's just a question of what do we give our attention to? What belongs as your focus? What will do you the greatest good? Focusing on the bad stuff or focusing on the good stuff? You know, I, I, did a, I did a read-through of Philippians this week. It's a short little letter. It's only about four chapters, and I read it really, really quick. It took me maybe ten minutes. I made it all the way through Philippians, uh, all four chapters. But I, I, read with a, I read with a purpose. I wanted, to, I wanted to find something here. We call it the letter of joy. Paul uses the word joy over and over again in his letter to the Philippians. He uses the verb rejoice over and over again, probably more than he does in any other letter. But I discovered something, something I went looking for, and that is that at least eight times in this letter of joy, eight times at least, Paul has to tell the Philippians that they need to change their attitudes. Eight times. They need to change their attitudes. Sometimes he does it very, very personally. I want to plead with these two ladies, and he names them by name. They need to agree with each other in the Lord, and you guys need to help them. Sometimes he does it generally. He says, I want your attitude, I want your mind to be the same as that of Christ. I want you to think like Jesus. But eight times in this letter of joy, he tells them they need to change their attitudes. I'm only preaching on this for four weeks. You only have, that's, half, that's half as much as what Paul would do. But you know, that tells me two things. First of all, things weren't perfect in Philippi, so we probably shouldn't expect things to be perfect in Kansas either. Things weren't perfect in Philippi, but the other thing it tells me is attitudes are changeable. You can change your attitude. I said earlier, joy is proactive 
happiness. Joy is happiness that is not dependent upon circumstance. It is not dependent upon chance. It is the learned capacity to display your faith through your attitude. Last week, we looked at Philippians 4, verse 6. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Have you got any anxiety? That's what you get for focusing on the junk. So, so what can we do instead? Paul says pray. Not just pray, but pray with thanksgiving. Pray with gratefulness. Thanksgiving is a conviction. You become convicted that there is something in your life to be thankful for. Last week I called Thanksgiving vitamin T. Some of you reminded me of that this week, that I called Thanksgiving vitamin T. Uh, it's an essential nutrient to your soul. Just like you woke up this morning and you chose to take your vitamins, you chose to take your supplements, you chose to do those healthy things, you can get up in the morning and choose to be thankful. You can choose to take your vitamin T. How do you choose to be thankful though? How do you do that? You know a great place to start? Maybe whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And again, that's that's not everything in your life, is it? There are situations in your life, there are problems, there are people that don't fit into these categories, but you've got to decide, are you going to let that one thing get the best of you? Are you going to let that one thing get the best of you? Are you going to let it steal your time? Are you going to let it steal your energy, your emotion? Are you going to let it steal your joy? I read you some of the junk-producing thoughts. And if you're like me, those junk-producing thoughts, they sounded way too familiar. I, I recognize myself in too many of those. Tommy Newberry also includes joy-producing thoughts. Takes three pages and lists 40 joy-producing thoughts. Here's a few of them. Joy-producing thought. I expect the best, and it shows. I trust God. My faith is strong. I am responsible. I am a new creature in Christ. I pray for others. With Christ, I am unstoppable. I think about what is good, just, and gracious. My lifestyle supports unshakable faith. I wonder if those sounded as familiar as the junk-producing thoughts. I wonder if we recognized ourselves in those as much as we recognized ourselves in the junk-producing thoughts. And if not, what would it take for us to get to know those thoughts better? What would it take for us to start thinking those thoughts? Because you see, junk or joy, <laughs> junk or joy, here's the reality that you and I have to acknowledge. We have a choice. We have a choice of what to focus on. We can exercise our free will and we can think about positive things or we can think about negative things. Paul says, think about these things. It's interesting, this is, this is an interesting thought. That, that phrase, think about these things, it could actually be translated, take inventory of these things. Now, have any of you ever worked in a job where you had to take inventory? Oh, I hated inventory days. Just, just absolutely hated inventory. You had to count everything. You had to know how much of this you had, how much of that you had. You had to count everything. Really, you didn't count everything, though. You, you took 
you took accounting of, of the things that were important. None of us ever, on inventory day, none of us ever counted the dust bunnies at the bottom of the shelf. You, you don't count dust bunnies when you're taking inventory. We, we, never went to the, we never went to the waste can and counted used Kleenexes. You don't, you don't take an accounting of used Kleenexes on inventory days. Those things are not worth counting. Those things are not worth anything. You, you don't take account of them. You take inventory of the things that you value, the things that are important. You take inventory of them. You count them. You name them. You value them. And you do the same with your life. You choose to take inventory of the things that are important. You can choose joy for today. You have a choice of what to focus on. You can focus on junk or you can focus on joy. You can focus on the positive. You can focus on the negative. But here's the thing. No one can do it for you. Nobody can do this for you. You understand that, right? Nobody can change the way you think for you. No one can change your mind for you. <clears throat> you can listen to this sermon. Once we're done today, the sermon will be available online. You can, you can go home and you can listen to this sermon every day for the next week. It'll put you to sleep every time. It'd be great, you know? You can listen to this sermon over and over again and I can't do it for you. I can come to your house and I can read this passage for you over and over again and I can pray for you, but I cannot convince you to change your mind. You can read the 4-8 principle. I would encourage you to do it. It's a really good book. It's quick. It's easy. It's not very big. It's a great book to read. You can read the 4-8 principle, but it won't do it for you. You understand this requires work. This requires effort to change the way that you think. Maybe you're waiting on a miracle. Maybe you're waiting on God to miraculously show up, touch your head, and change the way you think. That's, that's beautiful, but it's, it's not going to happen. Maybe, maybe you're waiting and saying, you know what? I'm going to wait for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to wait for the Holy Spirit to show up and miraculously change my thoughts to, to wonderful, pure, and kind thoughts. And until then, I'm going to go ahead and think the horrible, lousy, stinking thoughts that I've always thought before. I admire your faith, but it doesn't work that way this is a battle and you're going to have to fight for it you're going to have to fight for control of your mind second corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says we take every thought captive to obey christ we take every thought captive that doesn't sound easy does it we take every thought captive to obey christ you've got thoughts that aren't obedient to jesus i know because i've got thoughts that aren't obedient to jesus and i can't be the only one. So what are we going to do? We're going to take our thoughts captive. How do we take our thoughts captive? You know what a great way to begin would be? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Let me ask you. Can you think excellent thoughts about your marriage? Can you think excellent thoughts about your marriage? Can you think commendable thoughts about your children? You know that one person you've got in your life that drives you nuts? Did you know that it's true that they drive you nuts? Therefore, whatever is true, you're already there. It's also true that Jesus loves them. 
It's also true that Jesus died for them. It's also true that He wants His grace extended to them. So can you think about that? Can you take charge of your thoughts to change your thoughts? I can't tell you how much I appreciated Pam Harmon's attitude the other day. Last week, I went down and prayed with Pam before she left for surgery. And I know, Pam, I know you were going with a lot of questions, a lot of big unknowns, and yet Pam was the most positive person I have ever been around. And you know, it wasn't a put-on. Pam did not put blinders on to a cancer diagnosis and say, if I don't see it, it doesn't exist. That, that didn't help. That wouldn't have helped. Pam assessed the situation, and while there was a difficult diagnosis, there was much to be positive about. Whatever is true. Do you know what was true? What was true was that they caught it early. What, what, they, what was true was that everything pointed to it being contained. Whatever is excellent. You know what was excellent? It was her doctors. She had excellent doctors. Whatever was commendable. I'll tell you what was commendable. Her family and her friends surrounding her and praying for her. Whatever is praiseworthy, you know who is worthy of praise. Pam said over and over again, God's got this. I'm going to trust Him. He's seen me through so much. He's going to see me through this. That's what was excellent. And that's what was worthy of praise. In the very next verse, I can't just leave it with that one. We've got to go on to the next one. In the very next verse, Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul says, Whatever you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So think about these things, but practice these things. Things. It's an interesting list he's got there in verse 9. Whatever you have learned and received, that's about teaching. What you're doing today, what I'm doing for you, you are learning and you are receiving teaching. And that's what Paul's talking about through his preaching, through his letters that he would write, whatever you have learned and received. But then he goes on and says, but what, and whatever you have heard and seen, that's not about teaching, that's about life. That's about conversations. That's about interaction. That's about doing life together. It's about living the, with the kind of transparency that says, I'm not perfect, and, and I struggle also, but I'm trying. And maybe if we all got together and, and tried together, we could learn together, we could grow together, and we can take control of our thoughts together. And then at the end of verse 9, there's that promise, and the God of peace will be with you. I love that promise. It's such a such a beautiful promise. I, I really feel like there's a sandwich. <laughs> there's sandwiches out there, but I think there's a sandwich in this passage. If you go back to, to Philippians 4, 9, what, when, when we take our anxieties to God, when we pray, when we are thankful, what happens there in Philippians 4, 7? It says, and the peace of God, which, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It will guard your hearts when your heart wants you to be anxious, when your heart wants you worried, when your heart wants to wreck you, the peace of God will guard your hearts. It will guard your minds. When your mind wants you focused on junk, the peace of God will guard your mind. And the God of peace will be with you. When your heart deceives you, when your mind deceives you, you choose joy instead. I've got two more books to pass out this week. And if you need them, you come get me at the back door. Risk. I can just tell right now, you're all going to rush me at the back door when you come up. I've got another copy of the 4-8 principle. This book is completely based on Philippians 4-8. So it's a very quick, easy read. The other one, 
My wife read this two weeks ago, and she said this is absolutely amazing. I haven't had a chance to read it, but it's a copy of Max Lucado's new book, Anxious for Nothing, Finding Calm in a Chaotic World. Does that sound like anything anyone needs? Anxious for Nothing. I'm going to have both of these back there. Come tell me you need one, and I'll let you have it. <laughs> I'll let you have it. <laughs> let's, let's stand and pray. Father, we are blessed, and we know we're blessed. But there are times when we would rather take inventory of our complaints than count our blessings. But today we choose joy and we choose blessing. We choose to take a careful accounting of the wonderful things you have filled our lives with. And so today we promise you we will train our thoughts on that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. And we will search for those things in our lives that are filled with excellence and are worthy of praise. And we will give you thanks for every blessing, no matter how small or insignificant it might seem. And even when our joy seems hard to hold on to, we promise we will hold on to you. You are our peace. And no matter the circumstance, no matter the storm, you will never leave, you, leave us. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.